0: You're listening to the Family Discipleship Podcast, a podcast of training the church.
1: We all like live together yes. and be raising our kids together. And, and like Anne would upstairs and shouting down, correcting my children while I'm making breakfast. Just shy of a and, Yeah, I mean, it's I dangerous. like that your picture
2: of an ideal world is Anne Lincoln upstairs yelling at your kids. In a good from- way.
0: <laughs> if a home is situated within a healthy local church, the likelihood that what is happening in that home to be healthy and good is higher. Personally and anecdotally, from 20 years of ministry, where you see kids come online is where they feel seen and safe, where they have connection.
2: Hey, this is Adam Griffin, and I'm here with my co host, Mrs. Cassie Bryan. How are you doing today, Cassie?
1: Doing great. I'm caffeinated. Thanks Caffeinead. to your coffee
2: pot. Oh, yes. Griffin Family Coffee. I believe we have the Dunkin' Donuts brand today. Is that right, Mrs. Chelsea Griffin? Yeah, no big deal. Straight out of Walmart. my favorite. I'm
3: not above it. They said I could be anything I wanted, and I chose to be caffeinated.
2: Yeah. That's great. Hey, we also have a special guest today. Cassie, do you want to introduce her?
3: Can
1: I? Oh, would you? The one and only Miss Anne Lincoln-Katherine Hollepaugh. There she is. I also call her ALCH, which is just the acronym for her Name. Oh,
2: A L C H. I
0: call her A L H in
2: my A L H. Yeah. Do you really?
0: Yeah. I like Catherine. There is a C. There is there is Anne like, Lincoln ouch. first name. Ouch. Catherine. Yes. Middle name. Hallaba. Last name. Does it
2: drive you nuts if people call you Anne? Is that not? a It thing? doesn't. It doesn't. Okay. There's
0: a there's a rumor circulating and has been for some time. Oh really? That let's, I get let's very offended. <laughs> yes. Let's dispel all the rumors that unless I'm referred to as my full first name, Anne Lincoln, that that's offensive to me. Not true. Oh. Rumor to smell, myth busted.
2: Myth busted. You don't mind being called Ann.
0: Ann is fine. Growing up, my peers always called me Ann. Okay. I was always Ann Lincoln within my family, and my parents insisted that my teachers call me Ann Lincoln, but it's not a n- common name, easy yeah. to misunderstand, yeah. and- by and large, people call me Anne Lincoln more than not now in adulthood. Yeah. But Because you
2: threw such a fit when they did Because right? I threw
0: such a fit. <laughs> You're a fit thrower. I've been,
2: I've thrower. been spreading that rumor.
3: Well, Chels, oh, Chels, I, honestly, yeah. I think
2: I participated in that rumor as well. Like, do yeah. not call her Anne. Yeah. Mm, her that is, Ann is Ann her Lincoln. first
3: name, Anne yes. Lincoln. I heard you say that at a conference. You said Ann Lincoln is my first name. And I've told people ever since, do not cross her.
0: Mm. <laughs> my favorite is the two words, one name. Two words, one name. Here's why, guys. Well, your parents were ahead of the game with that. Totally. Hey, it's very trendy. It, well, here I am. I am on brand. <laughs> Trend setter.
2: <laughs> Hashtag. We were, our basketball team, uh,
0: my
1: oldest daughter's basketball team had like four girls with double names. And let me just tell you, as a parent who's trying to encourage from the bleachers, it is challenging. It's a
0: mouthful. <laughs> it's a, a lot. Lot. Here's what happens. I don't actually end up getting a last name. People are committed to the two words. That's sort of where they stop. Oh, yeah. So part of why in Lincoln, two words, one name has been important. One, because it's not intuitive. And because people assume that Lincoln is my last name. Makes a ton of sense. I would think it might be. Yeah. So I'm just trying to help them out.
2: That's good. Let's go all the way, I all the cheer, way through. If you wouldn't mind joining a women's basketball league so I could cheer for you and, and maybe <laughs> practice, I think that'd be great. Um, I think
0: everyone would pay lots of money to watch me yes. play Some basketball. boys have double names.
2: <laughs> sure, of course Like
1: John do. Mark, John or, David, yeah. John David, okay. Yeah. So they all start with John. They do all start with John. A lot John of them start with John. <laughs> Guys, can you imagine me playing basketball?
2: I'd like to. <laughs> I can.
1: No, we uh, should play after this. I bet y'all well, look. There's a hoop right there.
2: Cassie, why do we have? Why do we have Anne Lincoln on the podcast with us today? Oh
1: my gosh, she is the goat of family ministry.
2: Oh, what does goat stand I for? Think is that another greatest acronym? of all time? Okay. Cassie
3: likes sports
1: <laughs> I'm learning and <I'm> learning. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be a good mother-in-law someday because I feel like that means
2: learning sports. Learning sports, okay. But the greatest of all time oh. in family ministry. Do oh, you she say is. That?
1: Well, uh, I've worked does alongside that her, present company? so it is. Oh yeah. You mean Adam?
2: <laughs> oh, because she couldn't possibly Chelsea. mean Chelsea? <laughs> wow.
1: Well, of course you're great. She's like, well, if we're ranking them. i we're, meant we're. vocational.
2: No, we're, we're not insulted. Why do you like Ann Lincoln so much?
1: Oh, my goodness. Well, she, well, we started together in 2004 at the Village Church. We did indeed. And I think she pretty much taught me everything I know about ministry, even though we started at the same time. She was leaps and bounds ahead of me yeah. and she's responsible for some of the best children's curriculum oh,
2: uh, yeah. out there
1: and then i mean just the way i've personally experienced the discipleship of my own children uh, she's vacationed with us they call her aunt awesome because aunt ann sounds like the pretzel place and <laughs> uh and then just the way she thinks about equipping parents and she's just given her life to it and yeah it's so good at it and she's so good at it yeah yeah
2: and Lincoln, tell us a little about yourself. What did Cassie miss? What are the holes in the in oh the resume? Goodness. What are you doing now?
0: Well, I'm honored by that, so encouraged. And you know, we've all formed each other. We've been doing this work together for a long time. And that's been that's been a joy. And it's been a joy to serve the church vocationally for almost 19 years. Wow. I mean, 19 years in April. In April. Hey, yeah. happy anniversary. Thank you. And it really is it it's a joy to be a part of what God is doing and has been doing throughout time. And I've served with children, students, families within the local church really since I became a part of a local church as a member well before as a staff member and not really even by design or intention it was a little bit of an accident but God oh, really? has has just put the path before me to keep walking and there's been fruit that's come which is a joy. I serve now as associate minister of family ministries at the village church Denton which was formerly a campus That's a lot of, of words
2: for one title.
0: One title it fits right. (laughs) (laughs) It fits my name, my title, associate minister, Family Ministries at the Village Church, Denton. That's good. And it and I get to oversee birth through high school. I get to lead our next gen team. Think about how to support and encourage families throughout the you know the life of our
2: church. That's awesome, and you're so good at it. I think of. Things you've written, things you've phrases you've coined.
1: Oh man. That
2: are so helpful when I think about how to like teach something theological to a kid. Or I think about even when Chelsea's come back from uh, uh, talks you've given at conferences. I can't remember what if it was like if gathering or something, or like proclaim uh, truth. Proclaim
3: truth, yeah. Proclaim
2: truth. You yeah, spoke on uh, kind of the the story of scripture as yeah. it, as we teach it to yeah. kids and and just how helpful it was both for us as parents, but also as as practitioners, is thinking about the leading church. So there's nobody better that we could think of than to have this right. conversation. So to cut right to the crux of what we want to talk about today, what do you think, uh, the role of the family of God mm-hmm. in family discipleship, the role of the church mm. in how we lead home spiritually, well, what is it and, and why is it important?
0: Man, it is, it, it's essential. It's fundamental because every household, if we think about family discipleship, what's happening inside of a home, faithful moms and dads, every household exists within the household of faith. And yeah. by God's grace, we want that to be expressed in a local church, a covenant community that is walking together in love and faith and obedience to God. But even outside of that, just theologically, we're all a part of the household of faith that's made up of all believers everywhere throughout time. We are part of this uh, legacy, this heritage of faith. So Every family unit is situated within the church family. Yeah. So what's happening within the church family, the rhythms of a church's life together as they worship and love and live has everything to do with the faith formation of parents, yeah. the faith formation of children and students, and what's happening within a home. If a home is situated within a healthy local church, the likelihood that what is happening in that home to be healthy and good is higher.
2: Yeah. I've heard you talk about before about how everybody is part of a family. Right. Can you talk about that? How, like, when we talk about family ministry, sometimes people mm. just think about, oh, you're talking about preschool, but you really help cast the vision for like eh, the whole church is involved. What the church is doing, both for the next generation, but also they are a generation who's being ministered to. Everybody's part of a family.
0: Everybody is part of a family. We are a part—we don't exist in the world apart from families, even if we don't grow up within our family of origin. Right. Even if we don't grow up within the context of a safe and stable family, we— are all born of someone else we are connected to others and spiritually when we come to faith we are born into a new family into a lasting family and that is what the church is the church is a family there are lots of pictures lots of images throughout scripture that we have to understand this group of people that have been saved by grace it has always been god's intention to have a family of people for himself. So we are a part of a family. And that's why a local church, a covenant community, is a particular family that we're all situated in as brothers and sisters, as mothers and fathers, grandmothers and grandfathers and cousins. And that's what the household of faith is meant to be.
2: Yeah. So a lot of times when we talk about church, people think about like an institution, almost like it's mm. like a company, right. like an organization. Right. And then you think about the family, you think about uh, maybe a nuclear family, right. somebody who's behind a front door living under one roof. Mm-hmm. And so we, we kind of create this dichotomy between the two. And I love how you bring this united picture, but there is also something kind of beneficial from understanding there's this larger group and there's this smaller group, and maybe they even have a different responsibility definitely. and definitely an interaction mm-hmm. of responsibility. Chelsea, when you think about kind of the institution of church and you think about uh, the the so think about the family of God, the larger group, then you think about the immediate family, the family who's raising kids together, living together, and you think about maybe the difference in responsibility between the two when it comes to leading spiritually, what do you see the differences as
3: well, I mean. Let's just let Anne Lincoln talk, don't you? Think? <laughs> I, I mean, I'm taking <laughs> notes. <laughs> the, the, according to the scriptures, you know, that's all blended in, in terms of the way the scriptures kind of command us, right? The, we have a lot of instructions in the New Testament for how we're supposed to follow Christ, and it doesn't really lineate, you know mom and dad, you teach this and then drop them off for an hour at church and volunteers, you teach this. There's a lot of commands for how we're supposed to obey and walk with Jesus. And they're for all of us and they're for us to impart to the next generation, right? We declare the works of God so the next generation will know. And we carry out the great commission, both in our homes and in our churches. And so I'm sure Jesus is so honored by families that moms and dads who take that responsibility seriously, Mm -hmm. Yeah, but- neither of us can drop the responsibility or the burden because someone else is doing it well, right? Good. Right? Yeah, that's right. And so if— That's right. That would be a loss for our children mm. if people in our church, adults, older kids in our church, said there's no need to pour into the Griffin kids because Adam and Chelsea teach the Bible in their home, right? right. Uh, we need the whole church because mm. we need all those all those gifts that that Jesus said everybody's been given gifts and we need all of them. So you and right. I have gifts that we can impart— or use to influence and um, disciple our children, but we need the gifts of the whole body. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, throughout the scriptures,
0: the call to multi-generational faithfulness is given to the people of God. It's a collective call, and yet it, Assumes a particular role and responsibility for parents. Parents have the primary influence in the life of a child, undoubtedly. So it is embedded in the context of our collective call of one generation commending the works of the Lord to the next. But implicit in that is moms and dads and um, those within a family unit are active in modeling and commending right God's works, God's word, and living a life of devoted, imperfect right. faith before their kids, staying connected in relationship. It's implying that, and I have not met a parent. I'm sure there is maybe one out there, but I've not met a parent who doesn't eagerly confess, I need help, (laughs) I need support, I need encouragement, I need the church body. The way that moms and dads stay healthy and connected and Mm -hmm. faithful is by being connected to the rest of the church body. Mm -hmm. Just like those who are not discipling children in the home but are called to other good works, they need the help, the love, the support of the church body. So we're all in this together with certainly distinct roles and distinct responsibilities. I don't have the responsibility to the Griffin boys that you, Mm -hmm. you guys do. And I, I don't have the same responsibility to the Bryant girls that Cassie and Eric do, even if I am Aunt Awesome and love every opportunity I have to be around all of your children. That's not my spot in terms Mm -hmm. of primary responsibility. And that's an important distinction to name without undermining the fact that we are in this together. Right.
2: It takes we don't all have of to, us. They don't have to be diametrically opposed either. You don't have to. We don't yeah, have to sit absolutely. down and go, yeah. But which one's really more important, right. or which one really it really takes the cake? Because there are mm. times where Christ says, "Hey, families will be divided over me," right? Yeah. And you're always going to pursue me. There's times when He says, "Hey, the the gates of hell will not uh, defeat the church." He doesn't say will not defeat the family. He says will not defeat the church. But He's not deprioritizing the family right there. He also, the Apostle Paul in his household codes is saying like, "Hey, fathers, you're going to be mm. training." kids. You're going to train them to know the Lord. And Jesus, when he's given the Great Commission, is saying, go and teach everyone to obey everything I've commanded. And so they don't have to be these opposing forces. I like what you said. There's there's not these strict lines, Chelsea, but the kind of there's both and and at the same time understanding there is a call and sometimes a particular call if you are a father, if you are a mother. Absolutely. There's a different level of expectation mm-hmm. responsibility mm-hmm. in the sense of like this is what the Lord would call you to, Definitely. this is what he has for mm-hmm. you. Don't just count on somebody else. Like Jesse said, we'll talk about it in a minute. We just, just we don't just punt to the church and say, Well, I'm sure they'll take care of it. But Cassie, if you were thinking about like an ideal world of a church and a family kind of working together in the traditional definitions of church and family. What do you think it would look like for a church and family to work really well together to disciple a family?
1: Yeah, I think my tendency is to overthink this because I'm like ideal world. According to Cassie, it's far more communal, right? I'm an extrovert. We would all live, like, mm, we'd all, yes. like, live together yes. and be raising our kids together. And, and like, Anne would be upstairs and be shouting down, correcting my children while I'm making breakfast. Just and shy of a the cult. Yeah. I mean, it's I like that your picture of
2: an ideal world is Anne Lincoln upstairs yelling at your kids. In a good from- way.
1: <laughs> You wouldn't mind yelling at I, I don't know. You've quiet. Listen to your mother. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the church, and admittedly, the church here, uh, well, in the south, but also in the west, looks very different than the church around the world, and That's so do true. families and the way families operate. And so, yeah. it's a great question. I don't, I don't know how uh, concise I can answer. I will say, in our context, I think that the ideal is that where we want uh, clear boundaries and distinctions. I think if we would let go a little bit of that expectation and wanting kind of like these, that, that we would do a lot more together. Yeah, And that, you know, we've talked about this in the past, but that families would be willing and open for others to speak into their lives and the way they're parenting and uh, would not be so close-handed maybe with their own personal ideals, but it would be open to the church forming that. And because we have a lot... You know, families, we're so isolated. And so you've got, you know, we actually don't have this, but you'll have like households that have like, these are our family values, the Bryant family values. And then you'll have the Griffin family values and they'll have this. But when we have all these distinct things we're working towards that are separate, that maybe doesn't allow a lot of room for the church and for the community to come in and have these shared things that we do together so that we're on mission as families together at Northway Church, at Eastside, at the Village Denton. And so I think in an ideal world, there's a lot more communal efforts for making disciples, not only of our kids, but of our neighbors and in the cities that we live in.
2: I I like the ideal world picture you paint. And uh, I, I think that'll, some of what you're talking about will come out as we, as we further this conversation, just of what cooperation could look like. Yeah. And what, like not being opposing forces, but also not working separately in the same direction. You know, there's something yeah. beautiful about not just saying like we're both trying to go the same place. There's something about saying, and we're going that place together. Yeah. We're in the same car. You know, we're not just, we not just have the same map. We're, we're literally on the same trip. I, I want to read you guys a quote real quick. This comes from a book that was really helpful for me a while ago when I first started uh, student ministry, which is called Family Based Youth Ministry by Mark DeVries. And one of the things he said in there based on research that he had read is that almost without exception, this is a quote. Those young people who are growing in their faith as adults were teenagers who fit into one of two categories. Either one, they came from families where Christian growth was modeled in at least one of their parents or two, they had developed significant connections with an extended family of adults within the church. How often they attended youth events, including Sunday school and discipleship groups, was not a good predictor of which would and which would not grow toward Christian adulthood. And Lincoln, as we read that, I wonder if anything kind of sticks out to you. I certainly have thoughts about it. Anything seem to like ring true in that where you're like, yeah, that's, that makes total sense to me.
0: Oh, definitely. I There's so much that resonates around this. And, you know, one of the, the best predictors, that's such a weird word to use, but it, it's fine. It's there available to us. One of the best predictors of faith formation and transmission from one generation to another is uh, a warm and connected relationship to a parent or primary discipler. And that parent or primary discipler having an actual relationship with the Lord, having a faith to transmit. So I... I I resonate with all of that and just know personally and anecdotally from 20 years of ministry, where you see kids come online is where they feel seen and safe, where they have connection. And that certainly we want to nurture that with parents. That's such a big deal. That's part of the role of the church is to champion a relationship, uh, a, a child's relationship, a student's relationship with their parents as much as we can. To especially in the teenage years, thinking about the context of student ministry, that That's when a great relationship between a kiddo and a parent can start to really be challenged. And that's where you need... Other influences, other good, godly, safe adult influences that parents trust to come in and be a a help, an aid to have a a safe place for that kiddo to rant about what's going on with mom and dad, because mom and dad isn't perfect. And they're starting to see that and experience that in a different way. And they don't necessarily know how to reconcile it. So that's where having other adults, even if you've got awesome parents and great relationship and connection, becomes so important.
2: I think one of the things that sticks out to me, I love what you said there about in that age where it's difficult between parents and kids finding other relationships with adults. Cause I think one of the problems we have a lot in the church world is we measure success by attendance. Like, are they attending? Right. And part of that is when we have programs that are designed to create peer-to-peer relationships, we may not actually be fostering what's going to create long-term faith formation. If your student ministry or kids ministry is just based around having kids that age, meet other kids that age, you're not providing necessarily discipleship, which is Mm -hmm. what this research would say. It's not their attendance. Mm -hmm. It's do they have a relationship with another adult if they don't have it in their home of somebody who's modeling faith for them, who's, who's discipling them. And so- Instead of a church going like, well, you know, we have great attendance, so that's a good measure of success. We're going, what are the relationships like between our teenagers at our church and our adults in our church? What are the relationships like between the volunteers in the kids' ministry and the kids in the kids' ministry? How are the parents doing? Those are the things I think that's the target the church should be focused on much more than how—we always hear, like, how involved are they? Mm -hmm. Right. You know, how involved are they in kids' ministry? How involved Mm -hmm. are they in in youth ministry? Well, you can drop off a 14-year-old, and they come back with just 14-year-old friends, and that doesn't mean they're learning anything but more Mm -hmm. mischief. I'll tell you that. (laughs) Uh, I would love for them to be meeting something else. Now, Cassie, let's turn the corner a little bit to maybe the shadow side of this. What goes wrong when parents depend on the church to be the only discipling influence in a kid's life? Kind of that hired help mentality of saying, I have a tennis coach for my kid. I have a math tutor right. for my kid. And I've got a a student ministry volunteer. I've got a pastor for my kid. I drop them off and you send them back to me discipled.
1: Well, I mean, I think we saw a lot of this when I was growing up. The church kind of just saying, let us be the expert. And um, and then there was just not a lot of equipping of um, parents by the church to do this at home. But then I think the result of that is in parents miss out a lot on getting to know their kids through that discipleship relationship, getting to know the Lord better, getting to see the fruit of the Lord and and just acknowledging that they are going, they are the greatest influence in their kids' lives. And so if you're parents who go to church and who love Jesus and who desire to disciple your kids, the church is there to help you. And their programming hopefully is is great. But even if it's not great, like you can be equipped to do the work. And not just because you're responsible, like what Ann was saying, and because that's what God has told you to do and commanded it, but because it's a good command and it's for our joy as parents to do this work. And so we're missing out. We're wrong is we're missing out on the joy of getting to disciple our kids and then getting to grow in relationship with them because we've spent all of our energy in the logistics of getting them to all of the different experts to do those things instead. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, I'm with you. And and even just
2: think about the time of like how much time a family gets versus a church gets. With a group, oh, who, sure. typically it's like, you're going to far outweigh that. Yeah, what was In that conference
1: you? we went to? This, was a Think Orange? Was it the Orange Conference where they had like all the marbles or gumballs? Well, and, and that is, like, I mean, it
0: was, that was a long time ago. I can't remember what it was called initially, but yes, the, you know, the Orange Group, the Rethink Group, thinking about visually representing the number of hours a, a child spends at home as opposed yeah. to the number of hours a child spends at church. It's not. Even comparable. And so the significance of what's happening in family relationships, what's happening in the home is so much more significant than what's happening at the church, even though both matter a ton. And by God's grace, man, there are so many kids who—home is not a place where Christ is exalted, and yet they have connection to the church— and there are there are adults that show up for those kids and mm-hmm. those students and there is a household of faith to scoop them up and love them and that that matters a ton and just because a family is active in attendance Mm. doesn't mean that what's happening at home is healthy. That's true. And so I I think it's just underscoring what we've been saying throughout the conversation is it takes all of us together and families may be in different seasons at different times. And I can imagine it's so tempting. I mean, raising a kid's pretty vulnerable, right? And trying to disciple a child is even more vulnerable And there are lots of temptations parents face to insecurity. They come face-to-face with their own failure, their own imperfections, their inability to trust God the way that they want to or think that they're expected to. And then you've got this kid who's got a front-row seat to all of your messes and worst moments. And so trying to show up in that space, I imagine— Is pretty tough. So for families who are really eager for their kids to have great spiritual influence and formation within the life of the church, I want to leave room for, um, there, there are lots of reasons why that could be a temptation that might just give information for us as church leaders on how we need to support and bolster um, not just the equipping of parents, but their confidence Mm -hmm. and also their connection to others who are in the trenches and who are a little bit further ahead, who can give them hope that there is an other side to this particular thing. Your sixth grader hates you right now but they don't actually. Yeah. And they, uh, they are changing in so many ways. They don't seem recognizable to you, but guess what? They're going to emerge at some point soon into this lovely young man or young woman who you're going to continue to have a great relationship with. Like when you're in the throes of it, you just can't see that there's any way out, but there is. And so having those models a stage or two ahead is also important.
3: Yeah, I was just gonna say the other thing that does when we have that that compartmentalized model or that consumer model, like you said, I have a math tutor and then I have someone who teaches my kids stuff about God. Is it it sends us message message without saying it that faith is compartmentalized? Yeah, mm-hmm. that. God isn't the center of your life. He's He's one facet. So you have a school life and you have a family life, and then you have this sort of faith thing. And it's very confusing yeah. um, for That's a kid. Good. And I think a lot of kids in our generation saw that because a lot of families weren't practicing this intentional kind of, we're going to disciple our kids and teach our kids how to pray and how to follow Jesus. Yeah. Um, But we went to youth group, right? And so it was confusing at the end of that for a lot of kids to go, okay, I guess my faith is like this separate thing Mm -hmm. that I don't bring into my other facets of life. I just do it on Sunday or I just do it at youth group. Mm -hmm. And then everything else is my time or my life and I have a separate thing. Yeah. Well, yes, and no
0: ability to envision what does this look like outside of these walls? Right, right. I'm going, I'm seeing these great examples. I'm connecting with my peers. It's fun. I'm learning. But then what do I do? What does it look like to follow Jesus on the other side of this hour and a half? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Hey, friends, it's March, and that means Easter is right around the corner. In fact, Easter is in March this year it's part of the reason i'm pumped to tell you about one of our sponsors who's got a really special easter deal this is a great time to get some new resources to disciple your family our friends over at lithos kids are having an easter basket sale they got the brand new little pilgrims big journey complete box set it's now available guys i can't tell you how much i love this resource Go check it out today, lithoskids.com, and remember the promo, Family 10, to get 10% off your entire order. Sometimes hard things happen. Sometimes they happen to children. When God Makes Scribbles Beautiful is a beautifully illustrated book that helps kids trust that God can take their hard things and use them for good. This picture book imagines that the hard things in a child's life is a scribble following him everywhere. Readers will journey through God's promises from the Bible, inspiring hope and faith in God's good and redemptive plan. Hard things don't always go away, but God can turn them into something beautiful. Available at beautifulscribbles.com. Download a free parent connection guide and printable scripture cards. Jesse, bring us back to the word of God here. Like what scriptures are coming to mind for you when you think about the conversation we're having, when you think about what the role of the church to disciple, you think about the role of the family to disciple, the role, the role of everybody to do this together, that it's not compartmentalized. What, what comes to mind for you from, from God's word?
3: When we have these conversations on our podcast, I think we come back to the Shema a lot. Yeah. Um, those commands in Deuteronomy that say, you're going to teach your children, you're going to talk about this, wherever you're going, whatever you're doing, you're going to keep teaching your kids about who God is, that we have one God and that, um, he's our God. And so that's an important one. And we see a lot of things in the scriptures that are for parents that say, train up a child in the way he should go, Mm -hmm. that we... Should not fail to discipline our children. Um, a lot of things in the Proverbs reminding children that it's important to yeah. to listen to your parents' instruction.
2: Yeah, right. That's good.
3: So we have a lot of that, but I'm thankful that you know the Lord knows that our families aren't perfect. So a lot of that is not just like, hey, perfect mom and dad teach your children. Right. We do have those instructions. We do have those those commands and those precepts from the Proverbs and saying like this is wise, this is good. But the Great Commission says everywhere. Yep. And then when we think about most the instruction of following Christ in the New Testament and Paul's epistles, it's not really delineated. It's at the family of God, which may mean your your family follows Christ. But if they don't, the, the family of God is the lasting family, right? That's the family that we're going to be with forever. Yeah. and And so, like I said before, we all have that responsibility. It's not really... Super separate.
2: Yeah. There's even a lot of places in the Bible where it talks about telling future generations where it's not necessarily designated moms and dads. Yeah. It's a, it's almost like as a people.
1: Yeah, that's right. Operate. You
2: as a people are going right. to tell yeah. the next generation, this is what these stones mean. This is why we do this here. Yeah. When you practice communion, you're going to do this in remembrance of Jesus. It's not just saying, hey, you're going to tell your kids, moms and dads. Yeah. yeah. It's like, no, you as a church, you as a people, that's that's implied and in some places explicit. Now, and Lincoln, when you think about this as a church worker, you think about it, a lot of people who listen are not necessarily parents. They're going, hey, I need to think about this as I'm casting vision for parents, as I'm designing kind of the curriculum and the programming we do. How do you think about it as a minister? How do you design curriculum and practice in order to kind of serve the families the Lord has brought as part of your church?
0: It's beyond just the design of curriculum and programming. It really is thinking about how is our church Uh living life together and how are all aspects of our church's life seeing families, appreciating the goodness of children being present, but also seeing that many, I mean, the members of our church, when I think about the members of our church or the members of any local church who are adults, many of them are married, which means many of them are husbands or wives. And many of those are also mothers and fathers. And so creating a, a lens within the life of our whole church where we're appreciating that we are people, we are men and women, but then we are in these particular roles that have particular requirements and aspects of faithfulness that need to be nurtured and need to be they need to be equipped for those things. So it's seeing family ministry and multi-generational faithfulness as something our whole church has to lay hold of together. And that means the different... Institutional outworkings of our church have to appreciate that families are there. You know yeah. we talk about um that we we don't only minister to families. Right. But we all minister to families they're in every part of our church's life so we all have to be thinking about them that could be true for any other group of people we don't only minister to those that are not married but we all minister to those who are not married so the application extends and actually helps to you know kind of push us away from thinking about things in you know some siloed ways for the with for the good intention of being strategic and focusing resources so I think that's, that's fundamentally what comes to my mind you know, at, the, at the onset is we all have to be thinking about it. And then when you get a little bit closer to the ground, I think having connection points that set parents up for easy discipleship wins connected to Sunday is a really big deal.
2: Like what? Talk what would be specific?
0: Yeah, so I think even beyond a particular resource that maybe would help a parent connect with what's happening in a preschool classroom or an elementary classroom or what's going on in student ministry that we could connect to at home. Those things certainly are there and there are many resources uh, available to help churches think about those easy connection points. You could also think about creating a vision for parents of whatever is being formed in you as it relates to the sermon, the liturgy of your service. How is this setting you up uh, to talk about it on the other side of Sunday? What about Sunday is shared? And I think that for families and for the church is an easy place of shared gathering, intention, focus, priority that really could be Leveraged or maximized, um, that Sundays are the center of our life together as a church family. I think Sundays are the center. It would be right to call parents. This is the center of your discipleship as a family. Yeah. Sunday service or Saturday night service, whenever you're gathering with the church, that is family discipleship time. Mm-hmm. It's created time, intentional time to actively think about who God is and learn together around His Word. Worship together is family discipleship time. And for us as a mm-hmm. church, from a leadership standpoint, from an institutional standpoint, we think about next gen family ministries. We want Sundays to be a joy. Mm-hmm. We want Sundays to be a joy for families. And so often it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to get up and you've got 15 fights and lost socks and shoes and <laughs> who even knows what else is going on. So I expect that when families are walking in the door, there is any number of uh, you know, crisis moments or fights between parents that maybe have shaped the way they're walking in uh, to receive God's word and be with his people. Yeah. So having a mindfulness of how can Sundays be a joy and in the places where maybe some logistical things are harder than we want, or classrooms aren't open, for example, or something like that, really setting a tone in a culture of hospitality that helps parents be at ease as they're entering into worship with the larger church family and celebrating the presence of kids in our midst. Kids are a joy. They are for thinking about all the people in the church, all the people in a household. And we think about kids as their full humanity, dignity, personhood, worth. We want to see um, disciples made of all ages. So that's what we're thinking about Mm -hmm. on Sundays and throughout our other programmatic elements in the week.
2: Yeah. Cassie, you think about it similarly? Anything... That you would add or you're going, yeah, this is what it looks like at Northway?
0: Yeah. I mean,
1: we're cut from the same cloth, so pretty similar. I would say <laughs> we've already kind of mentioned some of the things that – and how Anne has written curriculum in the past and the, the terms that she's coined that most of like village church campuses and now church – like church plants – would use. And I think that that speaks to the power of a shared language. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. And so any new content we're creating at Northway, I mean, the hope is to give a shared language so that when we're talking about God's word at church and when parents are talking about God's word at home and when student leaders are talking about God's word with students, that there's a shared language around the authority of God's word, the beauty of God's word, the, the, how that like feeds us and nourishes and gives brings us into relationship with God. And so I think that that shared language and giving parents words for uh, the gospel and for just the different curriculums for prayer for all of those things, it's so important. So if you're at a church and you're writing curriculum, be just thinking about like it, not just being taught in your space, but how you can give those words and phrases to parents. It's not a script. We're not. You're not giving them a script that they have to say verbatim. It's just helpful terms and distilling the information in a way that is that brings um, kind of what you were saying, Chelsea. It brings. Um, Decompartmentalization. I don't know what we're the Integration. Integration. Integrate, thank you. Gosh, guys, I need more Dunkin' Donuts coffee, um, <laughs> but it brings integration between those two things to show that your show your kids that this is not compartmentalized, but yeah. the same words are being used at home and mm-hmm. you know, and sometimes that can even be with schools if churches and schools are partnering. I mean, it's really a lot of great opportunity. And then I would say, also, like as at Northway, and I, I'm sure that this is the case at both of your churches, but. We see anytime kids are with us as an opportunity for discipleship. And so we, I know that that can feel, that could feel exhausting um, if you're at a church and you're the only person thinking about discipling kids and you're only one planning programming. It doesn't have to be super complicated. I think it can just be reading a great book uh, with kids, but anytime they're in our care, we want to steward that for the kingdom and steward that towards their discipleship and it as opportunities to plant seeds of the gospel, seeds of who God is and character and and all of that so that when they leave, they have more seeds there planted to be watered and to be grown.
2: Yeah, so Cassie and Lincoln, myself, we've all worked together to some degree or another for, for a long time in family ministry. Chelsea... You've gotten the the privilege of being a mom who's been the recipient a lot, a lot of these women's ministry, mm-hmm. and I wonder if you can give us some perspective, maybe from the from the family perspective in the church, the the parent perspective. What are the wins you think comes from when a church does this really well? If a church is doing this really well, setting up families really well, what is, what is the win that comes from that?
3: I think the biggest win is is confidence for parents for so many of us who maybe weren't discipled by our parents, maybe we got saved in college or youth ministry, praise God, any of those things. We talk to a lot of parents who feel like, I just don't know what to do at home with my children. I don't know how to teach this, or I don't, I just need some substance of like, what what should I do? What do I say? Um, they want their faith to be integrated in the home. They want their child to see that God is present in our whole life, not just when we go to church. They want to show that and they just need some starting points. They need some help and and praise God. There are people who vocationally have chosen to pour their hearts into helping with that. And so I think when it's this is done really well, we have parents coming out a little more confident and feeling capable and also feeling supported because like we've talked about a lot today. You can't just do this by yourself. I want the adults in our church to look at my yeah. children, not as just, oh, those are Adam and Chelsea's kids. I want them to see my boys as sinners in need of a Savior yeah. and to speak to them in a way that that could draw them to Christ, you know? And I'm so honored when people in our home group have said, you know, how, how can we pray for your kids or what are you seeing in yeah. them? And um, they really take the time to just be an adult in their life that actually cares about them as a person, not just you're a little kid, but no, you, you're you a soul. You You need the Lord. And so when parents feel supported, when they feel a little bit confident,
2: mm-hmm. yeah, helps yeah. a lot. And like for the for the person who wants this in their kids' ministry, but feels like that church is not there yet, and they're trying to get there, can you share some encouragement for the kids' minister, the family minister, hmm. who's trying to rethink how their church can aim for the right things and 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 get on the same page and cast vision for for parents for why we're doing this? How, what's the encouragement for that yeah. discouraged minister?
0: Don't lose heart. Do not grow weary in doing good. And remember that small steps and small seeds, they go a long way. So if you have a vision um, or if you kind of get provoked and have a burden for, man, this could be better, this could be different, and you even have a sense of this is how we could get there, but you're not able to move that forward for whatever reason— don't grow weary in well-doing. Guard your heart against hardness or bitterness or judgment of those who aren't quite seeing what you are seeing. And don't underestimate the significance of having individual conversations. If you've got a heart for parents and you don't see that they're resonating in quite the same way, go on a listening tour. Instead of trying to be the one to you know offer this vision or help them see that the way that they're seeing is maybe not quite right or could be, you know, moved in this direction, just ask some questions and be available to listen without agenda, without judgment, just what's going on for you as a parent? What are you facing as a mom or dad? What's the, like, what's the rhythm of your family's life? Parents want to be good parents. Mm-hmm. You just do. There are not parents who are actively, even in the darkest moments, wanting to show up and fail their kid. So I think presume upon the best and know there's a lot showing up for all of us in our humanity yeah. and for moms and dads in particular. So believe the best, stay anchored in believing the best. Don't grow weary. Don't lose heart. And I, I think in the other direction related to if you have a heart for this and um, those that are leading alongside you or in different aspects in the life of the church, if they're not quite, you know, like seeing the same thing or wanting to put energy in the same directions— same encouragement, but also just want to let you know, that's a hard place to be. It's really, really hard to have a heart and a burden and not be positioned organizationally to make movement forward. Right. And most most ministers in NextGen do not have the ears of parents mm-hmm. in the way that other church leaders do. Yep. So that's, you just have to, you have to know it's hard and that's hard. It that's is a hard, hard thing yeah. to face. The frustration makes sense. How you respond to that is your road to walk in holiness and you know trusting the Lord. But just to affirm, that's a that's an uncomfortable spot to be in. Yeah,
2: I want to talk more about that in a minute.
0: And
1: as someone who started ministry young, yeah. I know we have listeners who are young in ministry. Yeah. We have listeners who are single and doing family ministry. Yeah. And you are single doing family ministry. Right. And you were once single and young doing family ministry. <laughs> not Whoa. that you're not, but we are Still young. Years in. We are still young, especially for having almost I not as young
0: as it used to be. I can't have done this for almost 20 years and be how old I was at the beginning. Um,
1: but what's your encouragement for our listeners who are in the work? They are young. They are single. They might feel discouraged or just maybe don't feel like parents that can hear from them. I would love to hear how
0: you've. That is a that. great question. I think from the standpoint of if you're what, if you are in that spot and you've got a lot of passion, a lot of vision, a lot of energy for kids, and you're uncertain about your ability to speak to parents and I mean, almost instruct them um, in some ways, encourage just be so steeped in humility. I mean, it's worth appreciating that my perspective is not humbled by experience. I've not raised a child. And I think me knowing that is really an important anchor point to be a great listener but also to stand in confidence on, I do know uh, what the scriptures teach about God's design yeah, for the family and for the church. And I've just walked alongside people for a long time. So I have a lot of experience in how to encourage parents and how to hold discouragement and where our kids engage and how hungry they are to know God and how they respond to being taught his word. And honestly, whether you're single or married or whatever aspect of ministry life, human beings as complex as we are, are not that hard to figure out. We all need and want the same thing. So if you can keep that in mind, then you're going to step forward in, uh, in ministry imperfectly. You will not know things in your early 20s that you know in your early 30s. That's okay. You're not supposed to. Mm-hmm. But I think staying anchored in humility, confident in God's Word, and then just aware people need very basic things in order to feel connected and love and open. And God's Word transforms by the power of His Spirit. He's on the move. This is, this is his gig, and he's brought us into it, and we get to play a part. But ultimately, all of our testimonies around this table are, man, he's used people, but it's been his movement, his work, his spirit. And then I would say something to those who are young in ministry.
2: Uh-oh, here we go.
0: And this is something thing. Don't call me Anne. (laughs) Not that. (laughs) so far. I'm like uh, yelling at kids. I'm yelling at kids from upstairs. (laughs) You knew exactly where I was going. Um, and (laughs) yelling people back my name. (laughs) Just for our our listeners, I don't. I'm not a yeller. I actually don't yell. You're very gentle. Very. I hope it was your speech. Yeah. (laughs) For those that are young in ministry, uh, male or female, but particularly young women. Pace yourself and uh, just know there may be a lot of opportunity given to you that you're eager to step into. And it could be very easy to overflow your bounds before you've got enough muscle memory and experience to know how to endure. Good. Good. So I would I would just really caution you and those that are leading churches who've got young gifted men and women on your staff and you're eager to give them opportunity because you're eager to see them grow and advance and you see their gifting just watch out Good. you can overwhelm them so easily and not mean to um, so, uh, pace yourself and church leaders, um, just be wise and patient and nurture health yeah. in your young gifted staff members. Yeah,
2: Let me speak to the opposite of that too, that there are, for parents who are listening, who maybe have a young minister at your church, or you have a single minister at your church, or maybe you minister and they have kids, but they're not as old as your kids. And you've got something, maybe kind of a undercurrent of pride in your heart that says, well, they don't, they don't get me because they don't know, or maybe your, your church kind of typically they'll hire the 25-year-old cool guy to run the student ministry or the fresh out of college young lady to run the kids ministry because maybe they're thinking about ministry, your church is thinking about ministry as more like childcare and youth group is more like uh, having a good time with Christian friends. And I want to cast a different vision for you where you would both with humility recognize you can learn from the young minister who's fresh out of college, from the young family whose kids aren't as old as your kids, You can learn, but you can also be like a Priscilla and Aquila and help them, support them, remind and encourage them. Hey, we, we are for you. We are glad you're here. And cast vision for the importance of the work they are doing. It, kids ministry is not just getting enough crayons and ordering enough crackers to make sure that the kids don't bother us while we are in worship. And any parent or any minister who has that vision for kids ministry is not reading the same Bible I'm reading as we talk about making disciples. There's not a delineated, hey, until you're this age, we don't care about yeah. your faith walk. We don't care about your faith formation. And we'd like it actually if you could go away until, yeah. we, until we have you. Cassie, I know one of the things, it's really, really hard, and, and Lincoln already touched on this, is if your leadership doesn't have the same vision and same hope you do yeah. for what family ministry could look like with a church and family working together. If I'm a parent and I'm at a church or I'm a minister, and I'm at a church, I'm going, hey, the the leadership here just doesn't have that vision. They just don't see it. What What can we do to help cast a vision from wherever we are in a congregation to say, what if we could work together?
1: Well, I'd first start with it's God's vision, right? So not to like use that and hammer that over your leadership, but start being anchored in that. Like this is a vision God has given us in his word, that those two things would work together and that this would be, um, the discipling of our kids would not just be an isolated family thing, but it would be social and corporate and with the family of believers that, that God has put you with. And so don't feel discouraged. Like it's just you, or it's just us over here in a room recording this podcast about this vision, but no one around you has it. It's it's biblical. And so be encouraged there. And then I would say, do the work of studying God's word and that. And I mean, you can go about it a couple different ways. You could write a proposal. If you're on staff, you can write a compelling vision and proposal and and solve some of the problems yourself. Do the work for your leadership and, and painting that vision and, and helping solve those problems. That way you're not asking them to do that. You're just asking them to use yeah. their influence and leadership to to help cast that vision with you. And if you're willing to do the work, then they might they'll hopefully be a lot more eager to that's good to give you the um the resources that you need. Secondly, if you're a family at a church, and I would say cast the vision to other families and invite others in, you know, read a read a book together, yeah. um, start small and then go to the leadership of your church and say, this is what we desire. We need help and we desire the church to partner with us and then again help solve some solve some of those problems by Giving them ideas for what you think that looks like, and be willing to sacrifice your own time and and to do that. So that could be early morning and early morning dad's Bible study through one of John Tyson's books, or it could be a mom's book night or whatever. I mean, there's so many different ways this can look grassrootsy, but it it definitely is not going to just be like an email to your. I mean, it could be that easy an email (laughs) to your pastor, but I'm I'm guessing it's probably not going to be that easy. So
2: we learned from Jim Burns that unsolicited feedback sounds like criticism almost every time, right? So, right. I do think there's something like you're talking about that's really helpful about saying, let's have a shared experience and then see where we can go with it. So let's yeah. read this book together, or yeah. let's listen to this podcast episode together, or let's go to this conference together. It is a little bit easier in some ways to get on the same page when you are experiencing the same thing yeah. versus saying like, Hey, could I, um, could I just tell you what I think we need to do and yeah. and, and my problem with why we're not doing exactly. it. Uh, so inviting them into that, I think is great.
1: And then hold on really quick. I would yeah. also just say, and I'm, I'm um, if you're on staff at a church and you've tried this and you and you value this and you're just hitting dead ends, it's okay to pray about going somewhere else. Yeah. And I know several job. great churches who have this vision that would love to hire a quality children's minister. Okay. So, I'm just, I mean, there seems to be a shortage of people will, like able to do this work. I don't know what, like, I feel like churches are pinging us. I don't know if you get emails like, hey, we're hiring this position. We don't have any applicants. Yeah. So if you're out somewhere wanting to do this work and you're not aligned with your church and You've been patient and I don't like, I'm just saying. Trying to
2: start the family. think I could get LinkedIn. you a job.
1: Oh, not a bad idea. A little network.
2: <laughs> Send us your resume to Cassie Brian. Yeah. Fam- <laughs> no, don't do that. <laughs> hey, before we let you go, Anne Lincoln, would you mind just sharing with us? How can our listeners be praying for you? Mm. What's going on for you that we can pray
0: yeah, for? Yeah, thank you. Well, I am getting to step away for sabbatical season Woo-hoo! later this spring. And so that would be a wonderful way to pray, just that that would be a time that's restful and restorative in all the ways that it needs to be. And there's quite a bit to do in preparation. So wisdom, provision in the season leading up, and then lots of good rest
2: Well, I during hope that the for time you. of rest. Yeah. Cassie, you've got your sabbatical coming Adam, up too, right? Adam, you've got your sabbatical coming up Oh my up too. goodness. Man, it's Kat, like the Chelsea, all been, how's your it, sabbatical? It's
3: like none of y'all work, Okay. <laughs> I'm still waiting on the hospital to call and say... <laughs> Take a couple months off. Have a few months. Oh, we really great. appreciate all the <laughs> What's going to happen
0: with this little podcast?
2: Come on. Uh, we, we're going to record enough. We're, we're going to hustle. We're going to hustle. It no, it's just going to
3: be me by myself. Yeah, the actually, Chelsea would, Griffin I would, Show. I would listen to the Chelsea Griffin Show. Just, I would listen to the it's Chelsea gonna Griffin Show. It's going to be my and I'm just going to go off... <laughs> yes, I'm going to go off about church workers. Unedited. I'm going to go off about places that have good food and yet serve pepsi uh stuff like that I'm just gonna go off i'm, li- I'm listening to that podcast. <laughs> thank you that's yeah. incredible
2: <laughs> and lincoln thank you so much for being with us today chelsea i can't wait to hear your new setbox podcast uh, it's gonna be awesome it's gonna be raw <laughs> Well, thanks for listening, friends. If you think it's as important as we do to disciple our families, please help us out by giving us a great review wherever you listen to podcasts. Visit one of our sponsors and share this episode with one of your friends. If you want to keep up with us or join the conversation, you can follow the Family Discipleship Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. We love you listeners, and we will see you next week.